Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am in Acts chapter 23. I'm going to cover verses 12 through 35, the end of the chapter. Our context is this, Paul in our previous audio in verses 1 through 11 of Acts 23 had been taken to the Sanhedrin by Claudius Lysus, the Roman commander in Jerusalem. Paul had previously started a riot. They were, the Jews in the temple were trying to kill Paul. Lysias saves him was about to flog him to get information on why this man could be so evil as to cause such an uproar. Found out he was a Roman citizen, saved his life, took him to the Sanhedrin the next day. Paul started a riot there, too, when he got the Sadducees, Sadducees and the Pharisees fighting each other over the resurrection. And so Lysias grabbed Paul from the Sanhedrin, put him back in the barracks, and says he, got to, he, he wants to get out of this mess. So we start in verse 12, Acts 23. When it was day... The Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse, whether to eat nor to drink, neither to eat nor to drink until they had killed Paul. Now, these people were probably zealots, capital Z zealots, of a party who wanted to start a revolution with Rome. They were later responsible for the revolt against Rome in the ensuing Jewish War, AD 66 through 70, according to the NIV Study Bible. They may have been the so-called Sicarii, the assassins, that Claudius Lysias mentioned when he first encountered Paul at the riot. And he says, who are you? Are you the Egyptian who led 4,000 men into the 4,000 assassins into the desert to start a revolt? I don't know whether the assassins would also be considered zealots. I don't know the interrelationship inter between those two parties. But at any rate, these people, were they meant business. I mean, neither to eat or drink. We're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. Well, I guess they're pretty hungry now because Paul got away. <laughs> so I don't know whether they... The, the the these assassins these would-be assassins died of hunger and thirst or not but actually john gill says it was easy to get out of a vow like that there was more than one way to do so for example they could say well it was necessary to keep a feast and at a feast you have to eat and drink that kind of thing so we can take that with a grain of salt this vow we go to verses 13 through 15 of acts 23 there were more than 40 who had formed this plot these men went to the chief priest and elders and said we have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, made, make a request to the commander, that's Claudius Lysias, that he bring him down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. However, before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. So these cowardly people were going to assassinate Paul during a judicial proceeding. And the Sanhedrin was supposed to hypocritically suggest we want to find out the facts. They didn't want to find out the facts. They wanted to kill Paul. They were perfectly happy. Now, the assassins went to the chief priests and elders and said, you, along with the Sanhedrin, it makes it sound like the chief priests and elders are different people than the Sanhedrin. Actually, they were part of the Sanhedrin. They were probably all Sadducees, because that's the priestly part of the Sadducees. Paul had pointedly offended them the day before when he says, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead, and got the Pharisees said, hey, maybe he's a good guy. And then the Sadducees, no, away with this fellow. And they had a riot between themselves, screaming and hollering, and they violently grabbed a hold of Paul. And so these chief priests and elders were more likely to be receptive to the plot, as John Gill points out. And Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown makes the correct comment that these religious people were assassins. I mean, what kind of a religion is that, that you would deliberately try to assassinate somebody before they were coming to hear, before your court? Now, the assassin says before Paul was brought near to the Sanhedrin, we, we are ready to, they would be ready to kill him. 
that would have to be somewhere far enough away from the temple so that they wouldn't defile the temple by the murder. And it would also have to be far enough away from the Sanhedrin so the Sanhedrin wouldn't get blamed for the assassination. Well, I'm sure they worked all those details out. We go to verse 16, Acts 23. But the son of Paul's sister, that's Paul's nephew, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Now, how did Paul's nephew hear about the assassination plot? This is my speculation. It could be because of the large number of the conspirators. There were 40 of them. Perhaps he heard a leak. It just got out. There were so many conspirators. Now, we don't know much about this son, this nephew, but he may have lived in Jerusalem with his mother, who was Paul's sister. Remember, Paul spent most of his life in Jerusalem. It's not surprising that his sister was there. The son, the nep- Paul's nephew, the son of his sister, may have been in Jerusalem as a student of one of the Jewish doctors. And if he was, then he may have heard of the plot there, listening to the rabbi's talk, because these people, of course, hated Paul, and they were out to get him. But we don't know. That's just speculation. Why did the nephew risk his, I guess he risked his life. These people were assassins, and he's thwarting their will. So I think it was probably dangerous what he did to report them to the Jewish to the Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, perhaps the nephew was a Christian. Perhaps he was just doing it out of family obligations, or maybe both. Maybe he was a Christian, and he had concern for Paul as his uncle. But at any rate, he saved Paul's life. We go to verses 17, 18, and 19 of Acts 23. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander, that's Claudius Lysias, because he has something to report to him. So we took him. That's the centurion, took him, took the nephew, brought the nephew, brought him to the commander, Claudius Lysias, and said, The prisoner Paul called me, called the centurion, and asked me, the centurion, to bring this young man to you, the young man being Paul's nephew, because he, the nephew, has something to tell you, Claudius Lysias. Then the commander, Claudius Lysias, took him by the hand, took the nephew by the hand, led him aside, and inquired privately, What is it you have to report to me? Now the centurions, of course, were in charge of a hundred people, Lysias was a Kiliarch. He was in charge of a thousand soldiers. And so the junior soldier was going to the senior soldier to say that, hey, this young man is bringing a message from the prisoner. Maybe you want to look at it. Now, notice that Paul was smart not to, to directly tell the centurion himself. He didn't say, centurion, there's a plot. My nephew just told me there's a plot to kill me on the way to, to the Sanhedrin the next day. If he had done so, the message might not have ever made it to Claudius Lysias because the centurion may have even gone to inform the assassins. You don't know. Just don't know. You know, but Paul was careful, and he was smart to be careful. Adam Clark says Paul was not averse to using natural means despite his supernatural visions or his supernatural vision. Remember, he had a, a vision that he was going to be delivered to Rome as he was in the barracks that, that day. Or that, I'm not sure whether it was day or night, but he just had a vision that he was going to go to Rome. Jesus had told him personally, take courage. Paul could have just laid back and waited for angels to float him, float him out of Jerusalem, float him on the way to Rome. But he didn't do that. He took natural means to save himself, which just goes, you can't use the supernatural to obviate the need for the natural. And you can't operate in the natural without the help of the supernatural. That's not going to get the job done either. Now, why did Claudius Lysias take the young nephew aside when he, when the centurion brought the nephew to him? And Claudius Lysias took the nephew aside away from the centurion to ask him privately, what message have you got? Now, some people have said that maybe Lysias expected a bribe from that young boy 
John Gill denies that. He says that rather this action was to encourage the nephew to speak freely. Claudius Lysias must have sensed or known that this was important secret information that this young man was bringing. He had the idea, and so he says, well, maybe to protect him from the centurion's prying ears, the boy might be willing to talk a little bit more freely if they were private. So that's just precaution. It was smart. Acts 23, verses 20 through 21. The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they are going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you, because there are more than forty of them arranging to ambush him, men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they kill him. Now they are ready, waiting for a commitment from you. The commitment that Paul's nephew was asking about, was mentioning here, is a commitment from Lysias to go ahead and send Paul to the Sanhedrin. And once the assassins hear that Lysias is going to do that, they know they can go ahead with the ambush. So now we turn to Acts 23, verse 22. So the commander, that's Claudius Lysias, dismissed the young man and instructed him, Don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. Why did he tell everyone, why did he tell the boy not to tell anyone that the nephew had told about the ambush to Lysias? Well, here's some options. One, he was worried about the boy's safety. If the nephew had gone out and said, hey, I just told the commander that there's going to be an ambush. Well, those zealots, those assassins, whoever they were, they could easily have come after the boy. These were not nice people that this boy was dealing with. Or it could be that at this point, Claudius Lysias had already planned to transfer Paul out under the cover of night, and he wanted to keep his plans to smuggle Paul out of Jerusalem quiet and secret. And I think that's probably the real reason. We go to Acts 23, verse 23. He, that's Lysias, summoned two of his centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Now the distinction here, soldiers were, soldiers referred to heavily armed infantry. 70 cavalry meant people on horses. And 200 spearmen, those would, now that word actually is a Greek word that's, it's obscure, and uncertain, nobody knows what it means exactly, according to an NIV note, marginal note. And in fact, the NIV Study Bible says it could perhaps be translated as additional mounts and pack animals. Well, or it just could be some kind of uh, light-armed, lightly-armed soldiers, as the NIV Study Bible suggests. But the point is that Paul had a pretty good contingent of soldiers protecting him. 200 soldiers, 70 cavalry, and perhaps 200 spearmen. Nobody was going to get him. Now, why was Lysias so concerned that nobody get him? Well, because he, Paul's a Roman citizen, and it would look real bad if Lysias let a lynch mob get a hold of a Roman citizen and kill him. Why was it 9 o'clock that night that Claudius Lysias chose to to smuggle Paul out of Jerusalem? Well, at 9 o'clock, they might go out unobserved, and they also, and also those soldiers and Paul might leave before the petition for the, from the Sanhedrin would come to Claudius Lysias and say, hey, we want to hear one more time what this man has to say. That petition hadn't arrived yet, so when the petition does arrive, they could, Lysias can say, I'm sorry, guys, can't, we can't have another Sanhedrin meeting because Paul's already gone. Now, this 9 o'clock at night, by the way, some tra English translations have third hour of the night, and some English translations have 9 at night. 
I don't think that's controversial at all. Most all the commentators say it was 9 o'clock at night or 9 or 10 at night. Ellicott says, assuming Luke uses Jewish reckoning, the third hour of the night is 9 o'clock. Apparently, you start at 6 and you go three hours from there and you end up at 9, which is a rough figure, nine, somewhere between 9 and 10. We go to Acts 23, verse 24. Lysias continues talking to the, to the centurions. Lysias says to the centurions, also provide mounts so they can put Paul on them and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. So they, that means the soldiers, can put Paul on the, on the horses and bring them safely to Felix, the governor. Now, Felix is in Caesarea. He's the Roman governor. He's the brother of Pallas, who had the chief management of affairs under the emperor. It's kind of like the emperor's chief of staff, if you will. John Gill points out this little interesting detail. So Felix was sort of sort of high-connected. Claudius had appointed him governor of Judea in about AD 52, according to the NIV Study Bible. We are here, according to the best dating I can get off the Internet, with the, the third journey ended about 58 B.C., and that's where we are now, just right after the third journey. Now, another interesting thing about Felix and his brother Pallas is that they had both been slaves formerly, but now they had become high officials in the government. And Felix, as John Gill says, is the husband of three queens. Another interesting little biographical detail. One of these queens, one of his wives, is Drusilla. Now, Drusilla was the sister of Herod Agrippa II, who was the Roman official in charge. He was called a king, I think, if I remember correctly. Batania, Trachonitis, the, the district's east of the Sea of Galilee. This Herod Agrippa II was considered a very good ruler, and he was a good ruler. People said nice things about him. Unfortunately, he sided with his Roman bosses in 66 during the, at the beginning of the Jewish War, and the Jewish people turned on him. He lost his job. But at any rate, Herod Agrippa II had several sisters, one of whom was Berenike or Berenice, who was, he was accused of committing incest with, the other sisters, Drusilla, and Drusilla has married Felix, the governor at Caesarea. Herod Agrippa II was sort of a big shot. He was the he was the last prince of the House of Herod. He was ruling under the authority of the Roman Empire. He had a sister named Drusilla, and Drusilla was married to Felix. So anyway, Paul, just to give you the background here, Paul is dealing with basically high Roman officials now. Now, Felix himself, even though he was the brother-in-law of Herod Agrippa II, who was a good good ruler, Felix himself was, quote, an unrighteous governor, according to Adam Clark. Adam Clark says again, quote, he was a base mercenary and bad man. Tacitus, who the famous Roman historian quoted by the NIV Study Bible, says that Felix held the power of a tyrant with the disposition of a slave. Remember, he used to be a slave. There's nothing worse than giving a slave who's used to being abused to give him power because then he wants to abuse himself. I think that's sort of typical psychology there. Now, Felix was the governor, apparently the governor of all Judea, since Paul came down from Jerusalem, and he's dealing with a Jerusalem issue. So Felix is in charge of the situation in Jerusalem. He continued as governor all during the reign of Claudius, right up into Nero's reign, which I think started in 54 AD. And Nero eventually, at some point, replaced Felix with Festus. So we got three guys post-third missionary journey that I've always had trouble keeping straight. straight. The military commander, Claudius Lysias. The first governor who, ruled, who governed in Caesarea, named 
Felix, and since his name is close to Festus, who is also a governor in Caesarea, it's hard, easy to get them mixed up. So what I will say is, is Festus is Claudius is Festus, and excuse me, already I'm already getting them mixed up. Felix is Claudius's Felix, and Festus is Nero's Festus. We'll try to do it that way. Acts 23, verses 25 through 27. He, that's Claudius Lysias, wrote a letter of this kind. Claudius Lysias, and by the way, this is how we know his name. This is the Roman commander, the Kiliarch, that had saved Paul from death by arresting him for his own protection. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. When this man has been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he is a Roman citizen. Well, that's very nice, except it's not true. He twisted the facts, as the NIV Study Bible and John Gill point out. He rescued Paul before he learned he was a Roman citizen. And he not only arrested him, but he's in the process of trying to flog him. And then Paul tells the attending soldiers who are about to flog him, Hey, you know, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. Is it right to flog a Roman citizen? That's when Lysias pulled off the troops from flogging him, not he, he didn't rescue Paul from the crowd because he found out that Paul was a Roman citizen. The reason he rescued Paul from the crowd was because he wanted to make sure, he wanted to know what all the fuss was about. And he suspected Paul was guilty of something, he just didn't know what it was. So he, he didn't, he's making himself look real noble here, trying to CYA. We go now to Acts 23, verses 28 through 30. Lysias continues in his letter to Felix, Governor Felix in Caesarea, he continues, wanting to know the charge they were accusing him of. I brought him down before their Sanhedrin. I found out that the accusations were about disputed matters in their law and that there was no charge that merited death or chains. When I was informed that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you right away. I also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. And again, Felix, Claudius Lysias is covering himself. He said, hey, he was a Roman citizen. I got him out of town quick as I could. I didn't want him to get lynched. And the riot was over disputed matters in their law. And I couldn't tell from that whether I should put him in chains. Again, he's covering him, covering himself. And that's legitimate, too, actually, because the disputed matters that Claudius Lysias was supposed to deal with was, for example, the resurrection of the dead. Remember, Paul started that riot in the Sanhedrin when he said, hey, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And all the Sadducees got mad at him because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Another issue that Lysias was asked to deal with is the defiling of the temple. Remember they accused Paul of defiling the temple? He was falsely accused of bringing Trophimus the Ephesian into the temple area. And Claudius Lysias says, I can't deal with that. I don't know what the rules are about bringing people and Gentiles into the Jewish temple. And the other charge that they had against Paul was that Paul was speaking contemptuously about the law of Moses. Well, obviously, that's Jewish religious theological stuff. It's not peace and civil order Roman law type stuff. And so Claudius Lysias says, hey, I, I want you to judge this man to see whether he's guilty of something. And that really, this makes sense. Lysias is a military man. Felix, even though he was a governor doing executive things, administrative things, he was also a, a he, he handled judicial functions much more than a military man would. So and of course, when he tells Felix, when Claudius Lysias tells Felix that he, Claudius Lysias, was informed that there was a plot, that's because of Paul's nephew. That's who informed him. We go now to Acts chapter 23, verse 31. 
Therefore, the soldiers took Paul during the night, that's about 9 to 10 o'clock, brought him to Antipatris as they were ordered. Antipatris was a military post between Samaria and Judea. If you'll look at the map, it's 30 miles from Jerusalem. It's about 15 miles east of Yapa, and about, let's see, I think it's 38 miles away from, excuse me, 28 miles away from Caesarea, their destination. It's a military post. Why did the soldiers take Paul to a military post? Because it could be well defended and no assassins could get to him there. Why was it called Antipatris? That's kind of a strange name for a Jewish town. It's because it was a place that had been rebuilt by Herod the Great, and Herod the Great named it for his father, Antipater. We go now to verses 32 through 35 of Acts 23. The next day, they, that's the soldiers, returned to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go on with him, the foot soldiers, returned to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go on with him. When these men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, that means the cavalry people, entered into Caesarea, delivered the letter to the governor, that's Felix, they also presented Paul to him, to Felix. After he, Felix, read it, he, Felix, asked what province Paul, he, Paul, was from. So when he, as Felix, learned he, Paul, was from Cilicia, he, Felix, said, I will give you a hearing whenever your accusers get here, too. And he ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's palace. This is not Herod's palace in Jerusalem, of course. They're in Caesarea now. He had a, hair, a palace there. Herod had palaces everywhere. Now, when he heard that Paul was from Cilicia, he was probably thinking, well, I, I maybe I ought to send him to Paul to his hometown, but Cilicia was too far away. So he says, okay, we'll go ahead and try you here. If you look at the map, the northwest, northeastern corner of the, sea of, Medi of the Mediterranean Sea is where Syria is, where Antioch is on the, on the western Mediterranean coast. Excuse me, the eastern Mediterranean coast. And then if you go north and west and go around the corner of the Mediterranean Sea, you end up in the province of Cilicia in Asia Minor, and Tarsus is the chief city there. Paul had been from Syria or Antioch, someplace around there. He might have sent him there for trial, but he's too far away. The soldiers returned, by the way, returned back to Jerusalem because Antipatris was so far away from Jerusalem that the assassins would not go that far to harm Paul. So there was no need for their protection anymore, so they went back to Jerusalem. Now Herod's palace, where they met, where Felix met Paul, it was formerly a royal residence used by Herod the Great, but now it was used as a Roman praetorium, a Roman courthouse, if you will, or a Roman office where business of the empire could be carried on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are now finished with Acts chapter 23. We have Paul in Caesarea. Next audio, we'll take up his dealings with Felix in Caesarea. Hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one.